Welcome to Startup Confidential, what industry insiders will never tell you that you need to know if you're building a consumer brand. With your host, best-selling author of Ramping Your Brand, Dr. James Richardson. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 91, The Death Funnel Revisited. A lot of entrepreneurs think they have the next big thing. You kind of have to believe this just to push through. The fire hose of no's and that won't work. Seriously, 70 to 80% of early stage brands in food and beverage never even get to $500,000 in company sales on their books annually. Whoa. As you sit back and contemplate that very low number, it seems awfully small, doesn't it? And in reality, when you look at the media that covers the CPG industry, you'd swear that everybody's drowning in multi-million dollar seed and Series A raises. Unfortunately, the media's predilection for covering outlier companies who simply raise lots of money continues to confuse a lot of my clients. The clickbaitish non-stop coverage of the oversold plant-based food sector is the most egregious ethical failure of trade journalism I've witnessed in my career. I even watched one publication completely destroy its subscriber base and audience with this irrational fixation. Ignore the noise. The reality is that most of the folks who don't make it to $500,000 in net sales, aside from the folks who decided that $100,000 is all they ever wanted, those folks generally make unforced errors. The most common is not raising enough seed monies to cover the first two to three production runs and the first 120 days of operations before distributors tend to pay you. An inability to forecast your early cash burn is a close second. Gary Hirschberg would like to scream cash burn into your ears until they bleed and you finally relent. I can't list all the many reasons why you could kill your own business in that first $500,000 of trailing sales. And it would be a very depressing list to begin with. But the most unforgivable one is trying to grow too damn fast. This was a viral brain disease during the 2010s like nothing I've ever seen. In fact, it inspired a very skeptical data science experiment that you can find in my book, Ramping Your Brand. An experiment in which we buried this distribution alone bullshit strategy in a muddy grave. The desire to accelerate faster than your operations and balance sheet are ready to handle is understandable if you spent one to three years trying to develop your initial product. Your impatience is real and dangerous if you are really quite innovative in your space like Siggy's was and actually have no clue how to position the business properly in a foreign market. There's two basic ways you can grow a business in consumer packaged goods when you boil it down. You can use what's called the push strategy, which is honestly the mainstay of large publicly traded companies. Push is expensive. It requires highly mainstream offerings that basically aren't innovative at all. Think devour frozen meals, a large calorie portion size in a category replete with mostly low calorie options. It requires a sales organization capable of reaching 80 to 90% ACV distribution in six to nine months of work. That's just one of the requirements that you can't meet. Contrary to what most confused venture capitalists used to preach, even well-funded startups cannot really pull off the kind of push strategy that folks at Frito-Lay do almost every single year in their sleep. Not with a brand new trademark. 
Now, even if you have 10 to $20 million in investor capital, super unlikely you'll ever get there early on. But even if you do, you still don't have the resources that a large firm like Frito-Lay has with its DSD trucking fleet, its massive analytical resources, and its decades of institutional experience in launching products super fast to a mass audience. But here's the stickler. 80% of the time, this mega resource push strategy doesn't work. Not because they don't hit the initial revenue targets or get pretty close in the first year, but because the sales volume doesn't last. It's like a product level fad. If you're a large company, you can actually afford to string these launches together. And believe it or not, if you line them up and do them frequently enough, which they do, you may still magically grow your company's EPS, even as each of these launches fails in two to three years and disappears. But this model is unavailable to you as an entrepreneur. I mean, believing that this or that investment firm can simply fund a magical push up the ramp is incredibly naive and usually results in a subpar private equity exit. You might get rich, but you sabotage the business's long-term potential. Hmm. Sounds like Wall Street. Hey, listeners. Exponential growth involves more than a killer product, great fundraising, and a great team. You need superb analytics to ride the ramp. Dr. Richardson's latest online course is now available, Effective Consumer Marketing for Early Stage Founders. You can find course pricing and details at premiumgrowthsolutions.com slash courses. And now back to the episode. So what's the other way? The other way to grow is what they call the pull model. The pull model is about designing and marketing something so freaking cool that it causes consumers to pull it off the shelf, tell their friends, pull more off the shelf, etc. A pull growth strategy is a business driven by month-over-month same-store velocity gains. The single most ruthless KPI you could ever hold your team to. In the industry and in the marketing world, we call this organic growth. Because it didn't use operator force techniques like price increases or distribution builds. Now, in the natural organic industry, this phrase organic growth is a nice little pun. Organic growth is created by more and more consumers trying a product and more the consumers becoming repeat purchasers. And I tell you, strategizing and managing a business driven by organic growth, driven by pull, is the smartest thing that anybody can do with a small business using their own precious money, which most of you are doing. This because it forces you to maximize repeat purchase in specific channels and geographies. This is financially efficient for distribution purposes, because you're getting more and more revenue out of existing points of distribution, which is one of your best and very possible weapons to steal market share from lazy incumbent brands. So how does all this really pan out if you do it well? What are the principles? Well, first of all, you add your accounts very slowly and strategically based on where you think the shopper base is going to be highly predisposed to the innovation you're bringing to market. That also could be highly localized and regionalized assessment of the shopper base even in a national chain. You know, Target in Ohio is very different from Target in Southern California. After you've added stores strategically and slowly, not thousands and thousands at a time, you build a fan base as you're doing this so you can learn about your product. When I hear a lot of founders speak, it's clear that they understand everything about their product as a manufactured widget because they've often spent one to three years fussing over its production. And, you know, of course, they're sick and tired of fussing over it and they want to make money. That's the temptation. You know, that seed money's draining away. But until you've had sustained interactions with hundreds and hundreds of consumers, 
including your fans, you have no clue what you really have. You have just a hypothesis about why you're growing or why you will eventually will grow. But is your hypothesis correct? NASA doesn't send the satellite up hoping it'll work. Not when a launch costs $100 million. Like, that's just the ticket. <laughs> they test every single component on that satellite dozens and dozens of times in conditions similar to space. This costs billions that you definitely don't have. It's much cheaper to use a pull strategy by building an initial fan base and learning from them in a contained geography or region. Hold your store count after getting it up to a couple hundred for a year or more. Measure your same store growth. Feed the brand with out-of-store sampling and in-store displays and work on velocity. Are you growing steadily at the same stores for 12 to 24 months? If you're not, you seriously need to think about tweaking your product or your marketing playbook. Don't add any more stores until you figure that out. Now, how long are you really going to grow in the same stores? Well, this is unfortunately not a predictive science, at least not yet, even though there's no hard and fast rule. I can tell you that multiple years of velocity growth at the same stores is actually very common for a well-designed and positioned premium brand. Now, it may not be explosive growth, it's Giovanni-esque. It's often steady and geometric velocity growth. So you and your buyer may not see the long-term magic unfolding early on. But the key is that as you're adding stores, you don't want the incline of your velocity growth slope to be declining or flattening out because that's a sign that your new stores are simply not adding efficiency to the business. Declining velocity is the real red flag. Flat velocities in the second year is not great, but it may not be fatal. So add stores when you're confident in velocity growth, where you already are, and confident that that growth is actually healthy, that you know why it's happening, why you're growing, and how your executional mix, your playbook essentially, is helping all this to happen. Then, and only then, start ramping distribution. It's my firm belief that in 2023, folks, if you are a snack or beverage company, or honestly in any category where your units, your packages are emptied in one to three usage occasions, you should be able to create at least a one to three million dollar business in a large US metro. If you can't, there's something suboptimal going on, and it's usually with your product design. By the way, this velocity-based pull strategy is not only a smart system for navigating the death funnel that I like to talk about, up to $500,000. In ARR, it's a smart system for any stage in the revenue growth curve of an early stage company. It's just that everything I just described is massively more critical to survival in the first 500,000 than it is for a 10 to $20 million early stage company, which has one luxury, and that is it could just decide to stagnate. And that's all I've got this time, folks. As always, be safe out there. Thanks for listening. Remember, Dr. Richardson has loads of resources for founders at premiumgrowthsolutions.com. And when you're on his site, don't forget to take his founder's quiz and see if you're ready to ride the skate ramp of exponential growth.